Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.01 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 12th of April, 2021. This is episode 399? Or not, yeah, 399, god dang, man, of Bitcoin. And I opened a 1 million Satoshi lightning channel with uh, Jacob last night to try to complete the 1 million Satoshi ring of fire. If you don't know what ring of fire is, hit me up on DMs or something like that, and I'll I'll direct you to it because the the, uh, uh, ring of fire project Telegram group is private and you need an invitation to it. So every time that I tweet out the, the Telegram group, uh, you know, link it, people keep coming back going, dude, I can't see it. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know it fucking sucks, but it's necessary that that channel is private, uh, because we don't want scammers. I mean, honestly that I, you know, I know you're not a scammer. I get it. You know, but scammers, you know, scammers are going to scam. Scammers are out there. And this is becoming kind of a high stakes deal. And the more high stakes shit become, the more people like Richard Hart win want to scam you out of your lightning channel. However, that's going to work anyway. So if you do have questions about the ring of fire, just, you know, do DM me at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter and I will hook you up with one of the mods of that Telegram group channel for Ring of Fire. And you will either be invited in or you will not be invited in. And I don't have a I don't have dick to say about it because I am not the mod of that channel. I'm just trying to help these brothers out. And it looks like we're we're closing rings like pretty quickly here. It's 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 a beautiful thing to see. I cannot wait until we start getting this thing rolling the way that it should be because honestly it looks to me it looks more and more like a liquidity engine than anything else now with that said bitcoin magazine has this one from peter chihuahua crypto graffiti launches bitcoin micropayments plug-in for djs and music producers okay all right Bitcoin-inspired artist Crypto Graffiti has announced the launch of an open-source project meant to facilitate Bitcoin revenue streams for DJs and music producers with an accompanying public demonstration including a live DJ set performed at the U.S. Mint in San Francisco. (laughs) Cool. Quote, the event entitled Strikes Twice is named after the new plug-in's ability to automatically split micropayments into separate addresses per an announcement shared with Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, if live stream viewers enjoy one of the tracks played during the event, they can send Bitcoin tips to a static QR code that splits the payments. 
based on the track being played at the time with a fixed percentage going to both the DJ as well as the producer of that track, end quote. Crypto Graffiti, who is a DJ as well as a visual artist, was motivated to launch the project after seeing an increase in live stream copyright takedowns during the COVID-19 pandemic. The project also has a non-fungible token component with visuals presented during the demonstration to be released on a forthcoming Bitcoin sidechain marketplace as NFTs. Quote, People focus on banks, but Bitcoin's enabling of new revenue streams will rebalance power in all sorts of industries. The digital economy is broken for musicians who line the pockets of third-party platforms while having to heed arbitrary rules enforced by bots. We need to look at different models that better support artists, end quote. Yes, Crypto Graffiti, doing the Lord's work out there, pal. I'm, I'm happy to have you on board, man. And I'm also happy that it's big, that this is about Bitcoin, even though that they, okay, look, here, here's the thing. NFTs, as I have said, are like at the moment, the way NFTs are done are stupid. And it's not just because it's on, you know, like a lot of it is on Ethereum. It doesn't really matter what platform it's on. It's just the fact that the way that the NFTs are done right now platform in specific is just freaking stupid. All right. So um crypto graffiti is a is a good Joe. So first of all, he's doing it right by putting it on putting it on Bitcoin. And second of all, out of all the people that I know that are artists in the Bitcoin space, crypto graffiti is one of the best ones, man. And if anybody can figure, you know, start to figure out and really kind of plan how NFTs really should be done, this is one of the guys that's going to be able to do it. So hats off to the man with the plan, bro. That's all I got to say about that. Now, uh, JP Morgan. Uh, JP Morgan eyeing Bitcoin's Contango, the corn tango, and it releases a bullish report. Of course, because JP Morgan once called this shit rat poison. No, not that was... Who was it, Rat Poison? Was that Buffett or was it Buffett's partner? I don't know. Anyway, JP Morgan used to, to hate Bitcoin and now they love Bitcoin and we're going to get into it. Uh, this is Dylan LeClaire writing for Bitcoin Magazine. In a report titled, Why is the Bitcoin Futures Curve So Steep? JP Morgan Chase analysts examined the growing futures and derivatives market surrounding Bitcoin, provided insight as to why the contango is so steep and explored what the future holds for the monetary asset as it becomes increasingly financialized. Here are some highlights from the report. Quote, as has often been the case in the past, the growth and gradual maturation of cryptocurrency markets has naturally generated interest in derivatives and other sources of leverage. Through, or though, futures trading, uh, futures trade against a range of pairs. Bitcoin unsurprisingly dominates this nascent marketplace. Similarly to the spot market, these products trade within a highly fragmented ecosystem with nearly 30 active venues. The vast majority is traded offshore as well, with less than 15% of the total open interest listed on major regulated domestic venues like the CME. Normalized depth in futures has also kept pace with the deepening of cash markets. 
suggesting it too is benefiting from institutional inflows and improved liquidity provision in spot. Now, they give a couple of exhibits here. And like, so exhibit one is the growth of Bitcoin futures market has roughly kept pace with overall price appreciation and is comparable in size to estimates of the highly liquid segment of the spot market. Now in exhibit two, we have normalized depth has kept pace as well, suggesting derivatives are benefiting from institutional inflows and better, better liquidity provision in the asset class more broadly. Okay, that's great. Let's see what he says about it. With the launch of CME Bitcoin futures contracts in late 2017, institutional investors in the United States have begun to access or have be, oh, good Lord. Institutional investors in the United States began to have access to Bitcoin derivatives exposure, but access to spot Bitcoin has been harder to come by, even as the Bitcoin market cap has increased more than 200% above the 2017 peak. The analyst offered up potential reasons for why the contango has remained so large. Among the possible explanations provided by JPM uh, is counterparty and repatriation risk in offshore markets, uh, complications with obtaining spot BTC exposure in the legacy system, and subsequently the grayscale Bitcoin trust being a main source of BTC exposure on the street. <laughs> the street. JP Morgan believes that the introduction of a Bitcoin exchange traded fund will compress the yields offered by the trade as a liquid investment vehicle that trades at net asset value will give investors the access to quote spot BTC that they need to in order to execute the arbitrage trade as shown in the chart below net positions in the CME Bitcoin futures market shows that hedge funds have continued to increase their short positions in 2021 totaling around $1.45 billion at the time of writing. Are hedge funds naked short Bitcoin? Well, absolutely not. They are simply executing the cash and carry trade and capturing the large spread in the process. So, quote, these basis trades are particularly attractive in the cryptocurrency market. As of this writing, the June CME Bitcoin contract offers uh, around 25% annualized slide relative to spot. The richness of the futures is even more acute if we broaden our view to include unrelated exchanges where carry can be as high as 40%. To put this into context, very few fiat currencies, including both developed and emerging markets, offer easily monetizable local yields in excess of 5%. There is, of course, the special case of TRY, T-R-Y in all caps, but with local consumer price inflation around 10% or higher as compared to the explicitly deflationary monetary policy and cross-border transferability of Bitcoin, this hardly seems to be a plausible, yeah, plausible substitute. Okay. It is quite bullish for JPM to compare Bitcoin with foreign fiat currencies and not only highlight the massive opportunity offered by the steep curve, the futures curve is what they're talking about, but also highlight the disinflationary monetary policy transferability and global liquidity of the asset throughout the report. The analyst also pointed to the global aspects of Bitcoin's liquidity and market penetration displaying the yield offered on CME futures as well as other offshore markets. 
The report also pointed to the introduction of a Bitcoin ETF as a key step for the assets, liquidity, and trading volumes into the future. Quote, this makes launching a Bitcoin ETF in the United States the key to normalizing the pricing of Bitcoin futures. In our view, it has been widely discussed. It could reduce many barriers to entry, bringing new potential demand into the asset class. A risk factor worth considering, however, is that it would also make basis trading much more efficient and attractive at current pricing, particularly if those ETFs can be purchased on margin. We would expect that to bring more basis demand into futures market, especially the CME, but also potentially other onshore exchanges to the extent that Contango normalizes for these contracts, we would expect some pass-through to pricing on unrelated exchanges as well, since presumably there is some arbitrage activity between the two. In a large but expected development, the big banks seem to be eyeing the Bitcoin market in a significant way. JP Morgan surely isn't the only legacy institution eyeing the developments in the ecosystem, and it is only a matter of time before it begins to get exposure itself, possibly via the cash and carry trade. The key question for investors is, what happens if the contango does not normalize as the Bitcoin spot and derivatives market continue to grow exponentially? What happens when the market of an absolutely scarce monetary asset and a fractionally reserved fiat currency with centrally controlled discount, rate, uh, discount rates converge? Maybe, just maybe the true risk-free rate is Bitcoin. Nice. Bitchin'. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's At this point, what's going on is that we're getting more and more uh, detailed reports out of, uh, financial, you know, legacy financial institutions about what they think Bitcoin is. And they're using their own language. They're confusing ass language to actually do it. So what does it mean for us? Well, we should be bullish kind of, uh, they're, these guys are going to try to figure out any way they can to pull their legacy bullshit into Bitcoin. And it's going to be up to us to change the system. And what I mean by system, I don't mean like I'm not talking about block size. I'm not talking about, you know, changing Bitcoin's core maneuverability and, and uh, its programming or anything like that. What I'm talking about is stuff like, you know, Bitcoin side chains, shit like Lightning Network, uh, you know, like, you know, building our own system. And I keep saying it. I keep telling people that what we're doing here is we're re-architecting the, the, fi the global financial system from scratch with a bunch of friends. And the reason that we're doing this is because it has to be done. Nobody, seem, nobody else seems to be interested in fixing this shit. Well, we are. But the way that you keep it fixed is you keep bullshit, suit-speak, tie-wearing, ass-wipes you keep them guessing to the point that they continuously have to chain because these guys like this report, it sounds to me like, oh, we, we, we've got it nailed down now. Dude, we're going to be able to pull our legacy bullshit. No, you're not. No, you're not. Shit like Ring of Fire, you don't even, you don't even realize what that actually means. And when they f figure that out, they'll, they'll, try to, they'll try to do their bullshit there. They'll try to figure out a way to write a report 
so that they can do their do whatever legacy does and, and build derivative instruments on top of it that don't actually mean anything, don't actually do anything. They just, you know, most of the legacy, honestly, most of the legacy system that I see, it, you know, you, you know what it does? Nothing. It's a giant casino. Der, think of derivatives, you know, like a, a, a derivative product, you know, like the, uh, oh, like the, the whole home loan shit that got us all in trouble in 2008. And they were bundling this stuff and they were selling it to investors. And then those investors were chopping it up, you know, chopping up those instruments and repackaging them with other instruments to make secondary and tertiary derivative products from an original derivative product. Did it build a house? No, it built nothing. It did nothing. It was just, it, it's just, a, you might as well go to Vegas. Keep that in mind because these derivative products, they don't actually build anything. They don't do anything. They don't help the world along. As we re-architect the global financial infrastructure from fucking scratch with a bunch of friends, these assholes are riding coattails. Keep them guessing. Always try to figure out something new that injects noise into their system so that by the time they get their thumbs out of their asses, they're broke as shit. I want them all poor. I want them all homeless. I want them all starving. These guys, I mean, look, we can say that it's all JP, JPM's getting in. Oh, yay. Well, you know, I real honestly, I don't give a shit. They're dying. They're dying because they can only come up with the most unimaginative things that don't do anything at all for the world. They don't, they do nothing. They have been leeches on the system for so long that I think not only, not only are, are we like not destined, um, we're morally obligated to build the new financial system. We are also at the same time morally obligated to make sure that these assholes never understand what the fuck's going on so that they're constantly confused, getting wrong signals and go broke in the process. It's up to us to not only build the system, it's to keep the system so confusing for legacy that they don't know what's going on. Now, like, you know, otherwise you're going to get the shit like the, what's going on in Nigeria. Nigerian fintechs are cut off from government verification services. Well, fine. At this point, do we really need it? Let's see what Ikin Jank is uh, actually saying about it from Decrypt.co. Nigerian fintech companies were on Friday suddenly cut off from a government service that they need to perform mandatory identity checks on their customers. Oh, you wanted AM, KYC AML? Well, you're not going to be able to perform KYC AML. That's how scared these people are. That's how terrified they are. It, the people that want to comply are not being allowed to comply. They're not being allowed. They're being cut off. While they wait for the government to install a revamped identity system, fintech companies can't legally onboard new customers or must switch to services that don't require identity checks, such as peer-to-peer -peer services, analysts told Decrypt. Quote, the timing of this move couldn't be worse, especially given all the recent regulatory obstacles that fintech has faced this year, like the ban on banks dealing with crypto 
uh, I can't pronounce this person's name, but he's a lawyer in Nigeria's capital, Lagos, told Decrypt. The sudden blackout adds yet another hurdle for crypto companies, quote, not very encouraging signs for foreign investments in Nigeria, said this person's name, who I cannot pronounce. Like so many other countries, Nigerian law requires fintech companies to verify their companies, customers' identities. To do so, businesses in Nigeria rely on the government's seven-year-old verification database, the Bank Verification Number, or the BVN. But a regulatory directive on Friday suspended fintech companies' access to BVN without warning. <laughs> the government hasn't explained why, but it's likely because the government is replacing its patchwork network of identity systems, of which BVN is just one part, with a slicker identity system, the National Identification Number, or the NIN, explained this person's name who I can't pronounce. An associate at the law firm Alliant Law and Blockchain Fellow at Claros. The NIN functions like America's social security number and consolidates all identity information into one handy number, but in its attempt to streamline verification, the government has left fintech companies high and dry. A lot of people haven't switched to the new NIN system, and fintech companies don't have the tools to query the new database, said this gentleman's name. This leaves fintech companies in a tough place, said Danny Oyekin, CEO of crypto investment firm Dan Holdings and social payments app Coins app. Quote, how do startups verify the identity of their users without the BVN identification? End quote. To remain compliant, Nigerian fintech companies could return to expensive identity verification methods that predated the BVN, said investment analyst Olawasun such as checking information with, through the other institutions, quote, and those are cumbersome methods <clears throat> imposing additional cost on fintech companies and their customers, he said. Until the shiny new NIN system takes off, fintechs will likely have to wait, and crypto companies already struggling under Nigeria's directives against them will likely have to wait even longer. So <clears throat> this looks, on the surface, like it's like a little snafu on the government side. But, you know, honestly, I think what's really going on is that the cracks are showing in, in the legacy system across the world and, and clearly even in Nigeria. They're do, I mean, it's almost as if the governments can't even comply with the strictures that the government has placed on them in the first place. It's like a snake eating its own tail. You know, it's just consuming itself. And we sit in the back of the theater and watch and laugh our asses off. These guys cannot even comply with themselves. That's what, that's honestly what it sounds like. Now, I mean, the, the story is about companies can't comply. But what I'm looking at is that a government that is so bloated that they can't even comply with, the own, with their own laws that they built for themselves and everybody else. It's just sick, man. Whatever. Bitcoiners, honestly, at this point, don't give a shit. We've got more tools in our toolbox to deal with bullshit than anybody else in the, on the face of the planet, whether they're governments or legacy financial or anything. We actually have more tools in Bitcoin than any of these people, and we're just building more. Now, Reddit reminiscence about a defunct Bitcoin faucet website that gave away 19,700 BTC for free. Whoa, Sam Borgi tells us more about Gavin Andreessen's thing from Cointelegraph. 
Reddit's our cryptocurrency community revived an interesting piece of Bitcoin history on Sunday with a new thread reminiscing about the time that American software developer Gavin Andreessen gave away 19,700 BTC. A thread started by a user called Groundbreaking Lack 78 took the Reddit community all the way back to June 2010 when Andreessen first launched the so-called Bitcoin Faucet website using the domain freebitcoins.appspot.com. Andreessen gave visitors the opportunity to earn five BTC per day just by solving a CAPTCHA, which is a program intended to distinguish human from machine input. Uh, groundbreaking lack 78 explained quote to fuel the first faucet Andreessen loaded it with 1,100 BTC of his own after these were given away the faucet was reloaded with early Bitcoin miners and whales also donating coin okay <clears throat> the faucet's creator announced his really dumb idea of giving away free BTC on the now infamous Bitcoin talk forum in a post that appeared on June the 11th 2010 his motivation quote I want the Bitcoin project to succeed, and I think it is more likely to be a success if people can get a handful of coins to try it out, end quote. Damn, made him rich. Andreessen played a major role in Bitcoin's development during its formative days. He was the main software developer for BTC's reference implementation, having joined the core development team in 2012 after Satoshi Nakamoto uh, the pseudonymous founder uh, announced that they would be leaving the project. Although <clears throat> the Bitcoin faucet website is no longer functioning, a screen grab of the domain's homepage revealed a very basic setup where users can earn BTC and set up their digital wallets. <clears throat> the Bitcoin faucet reportedly gave away more than 19,700 full Bitcoin to users just solving for the CAPTCHA. The, or those BTC are worth almost $1.2 billion at today's prices. Oh, no wonder Gavin is salty, bro. With Bitcoin amid yet another bull market, many investors would love to get their hands on just five BTC. However, that's easier said than done at current values. Given the apparent shortage of BTC on major exchanges, the flagship digital currency could be poised to go higher in the short term. On-chain data reveals that Bitcoin's moonshot could still be months away, which means investors remain overwhelmingly bullish. The Bitcoin price peaked just below $62,000 in mid-March before the rally paused and altcoins played catch-up. At current values, uh, Bitcoin's market capitalization exceeds $1 trillion. Major inst uh, institutions and corporations have invested in the digital asset as a hedge against currency debasement, among other motivations. Okay, so yeah, I'm looking at the... At the uh, uh, faucet website screen uh, screen grab and dude it is like it's like ancient history man it's like looking at the encyclopedia britannica at something that was built in like 1750 it's it's awesome and you know and gavin andreessen for those who are uninitiated <clears throat> famously walked away from the bitcoin product or a project i can't remember i think it was i want to say 2015 or 2016 and he like said, I sold all my Bitcoin. This project is dead. And it was actually like, it was actually on NPR. That was back in 2015, 2016. And that shit was on NPR, man. National Public Radio for those who are not in the United States. Uh, why do I listen to it? Uh, oh, I, I listen to NPR. I keep my radio, car radio on NPR because I need to listen to enemy chatter. 
I need to figure out what the enemy is up to. And that just happened to be going on that day. And I was like going, damn. So he sold like, so he gives away, you know, 20,000 Bitcoin. And then like he, he's handed the keys to the project after Satoshi Nakamoto left. And then, <clears throat> and then a couple of years, you know, a few years later, he bails from the project by selling all his BTC. And now he's left basically as I don't know, a vestigial organ for, for Bitcoin. It's really sad. It's a sad story when you think about it. This is why when you hodl, you hodl for life. You, you really don't want to get left out in the rain. And giving away 20,000 BTC and then leaving the project after selling the rest of your BTC and then watching it have to go to you know, 60K has got to be motivation for even the most, you know, oh, based person on the planet becoming really salty, right? So Bitcoin mining company follows Tesla by setting up shop in Austin. Looks like Texas is going to become a go-to place for Bitcoin. Turner Wright tells us more from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> North America-based crypto mining company BlockCap announced over the weekend it would be establishing new offices in Austin, Texas. In an announcement from BlockCap on Friday, the mining company claimed once its new facilities are operational in the Lone Star State Capital, its hashing power will be roughly 3.5 exahashes per second from a total of 42,000 rigs, reportedly doubling its capabilities. According to blockchain data, this would represent more than 2% of the hash rate for the entire BTC network, roughly 167 million terahashes per second at the time of publication. However, BlockCap claims its total fleet will account for only 1% of the network's hashing power. Quote, Austin is our home base from which we will pursue our mission and bring this great city closer to the center of the United States blockchain technology ecosystem. We also see the city as an ideal location from which to continue expanding our operations as we grow at both national and international levels, said BlockCap chair and founder Darren Feinstein. BlockCap cited electric car manufacturer Tesla setting up one of its gigafactories in Austin in announcing the move. Tesla CEO and billionaire Elon Musk recently purchased a home in, in the Texas state capital for more than $3 million on Lake Austin, west of the downtown area, while the firm is breaking ground on the gigafactory on the east side, closer to the Austin Bergstrom International Airport. Yeah, out there, it was like a fucking wasteland, dude. If you've ever been to the Austin Bergstrom International Airport, it's like, where'd all the trees go? Anyway, the mining company did not immediately respond to questions regarding where it plans to establish its offices in the Austin area or how many jobs would be created as a result, though Feinstein said it would be hiring locally. <laughs> Why would you not? <laughs> There's a shit ton of engineers out there, dude. Musk said in a tweet last month that the new Giga Texas location would bring in more than 10,000 jobs, effectively increasing the number of employees at the electric car manufacturing company by more than 14%. Though some tech companies like Oracle and Hewlett Packard are moving to Austin, the state capital has in many ways become a microcosm of the U.S. housing market. Many employees of these firms may be seeing all-cash buyers purchasing homes, making them unavailable for those with only the financial means of saving uh, for a 20% down payment. Musk highlighted the dearth of Austin housing. Oh, God, here we go. In an April 4th tweet, seemingly in reference to Tesla employees relocating there, However, the addition of BlockCap and other blockchain firms to the Lone Star State 
has the support of former Texas Governor Rick Perry, the Republican politician who once famously forgot the name of the Department of Energy as a federal agency uh, he would eliminate if elected president. Perry claimed Texas has become the premier location for forward-looking industries like blockchain, and and that block cap would likely lead to job creation and economic growth in the state. Founded in 2020 by a group of blockchain veterans, I don't even know what the hell that means, we're only 12 years in, guys. Uh, BlockCap now controls roughly 12,000 mining rigs, generating more than 7 BTC daily, or $416,550 at the time of publication. The company raised more than $75 million in two funding rounds, led by off-the-chain capital and Foundry Digital. According to BlockCap, the firm recently acquired more than $500 million worth of Bitcoin mining machines. Will they be delivered, though? That's the big question. I, I, nobody can get these things anymore. They're like, everybody is sold out of mine, mining rigs. It's, it's, it's sick, bro. Now, so what are they, when they said the housing market, you guys who don't remember what happened in the dot-com era need to look back at that little piece of history. In Austin, before dot-com, nobody wanted to go there. Imagine, imagine that. It was absolutely like like you could not give land away in the Austin area because all it was was uh, University of Texas and the state capitol. After that, there was not a whole lot going on for it. You know, there wasn't any tech. It was non-existent. When I first started, you know, really hanging out in Austin for the South, when South by Southwest was cranked up in the very late 80s, it was fun. I mean, the town was fun, but there just wasn't anything going on. And then dot-com moved in. And it was like all of California decided to move there all at once. And they were, there are stories about <clears throat> rich Californian people that were walking up to just houses on the street and knocking on the door and asking the and and literally giving the owner of that house whoever it was that answered the door basically they would say I want to buy your house all cash right now what's your price Yeah that shit'll get you shot in Texas so be aware it's all going to happen again it's all happening again the dot com bubble is coming to Austin it's all happening again y'all out there in Austin do not sell your house. I don't give a shit. I'm, unless you just absolutely freaking need the money. Don't, I, mean, I like Elon. I think he's an all right guy, but don't let his employees buy your house because then you got to ask yourself the following question. I just got paid a million dollars for my house that I paid $100,000 for like 50 years ago or well, let's say 30 years ago. I, I, I'm rich. No, you're not. Because now you got to go buy another house. And guess how much houses cost? Pretty much about what you got. So all you're really doing is causing yourself to have to move. Nobody likes moving. Yes, I have a pickup truck. No, I will not help you move. Let's run the numbers. Oh, happy days. I have $60 oil again. West Texas Intermediate is up 1.3% to $60.10. Brent North Sea is up one and a third. It's going for $63.80 a barrel. 
Natural gas swinging high, swinging for the fences, 2.5% to the upside, $2.58 is going to get you 1,000 cubic feet of that. And guess what? All the shiny metal rocks are down again. If you're a shiny metal rock holder, I feel for you. I wouldn't want to be here because gold is gold is down scant, uh, $1,744.10 per ounce. Silver is down a quarter, platinum is down one and a quarter, copper is down a quarter, and palladium is down almost a half. Let's see what indices are doing. Oh, look, they're all down. Uh, Dow Futures is down 0.12, S&P Futures down a tenth, NASDAQ Futures down two tenths, and the S&P Mini is down one tenth. Uh, bonds are uh, kind of mixed. Uh, let's see, the five-year futures are down 0.01%. Everything is moving 0.01, either up or down, and some are unchanged. Let's talk about real money. <clears throat> Bitcoin is at $59,980.29. 271,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,333 transactions on average every hour with 324,500 BTC being sent in the last 24-hour period. That means that about 13,500 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.19 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.013 BTC or about $779, which honestly is the lowest I have seen that median value in quite some time. Now, block times are a little bit low, 9 minutes and 48 seconds. Half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 72 and a quarter BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 5.5% dip in hash rate, we are still at 170.72 exahashes per second. Holy shit. Your shitcoin index, as usual, is doge. And it is at... Oh, God. Seven cents. <laughs> Jesus. I got I'm thinking about selling my doge at this point. I if I sell it, you know what I'm selling it for? Bitcoin. I'm going to sell it for more Bitcoin. Hell, even Litecoin, dude, 250 bucks. All right, well, okay, 248 and seven cents. But Dogecoin being at seven, oh, oh, it just flipped higher. 7.1 pennies. Oh my god. This is ridiculous. So, okay, so this, I guess, is what alt season looks like. Uh, I, I was, I mean, I was around for the first alt season, but it didn't take me very long to figure out that I needed to be in Bitcoin 100% uh, because altcoins always end up inevitably going down and lose, well, they all trend to zero um, in Bitcoin terms over, over like any length of time. But I, you know, I, I was so fresh in the game for the quote unquote, the, alt, the 2015, 16, 17 alt season that I, I was so knee deep in Bitcoin by that time. And I was so fresh on the scene that I honestly did not see alt season. So I guess this is what alt season looks like. This, I guess this is going to be my first alt season that I actually noticed. And you know what? I honestly don't care. All this shit is trending to zero in Bitcoin terms anyway. Buildings, shit coins, cars, yeah, guitars, houses, raw land, everything is trending to zero in terms of Bitcoin 
as measured in fiat. So there you go. Now, Clark Booty <clears throat> is showing 37,284 transactions that are waiting to onboard 86 blocks to clear. Yeah, we're never going to clear this mempool, dude. That's okay. We're, we're fine. We're at $1.12 trillion, which is 9.9% of gold's market cap and 34.4 ounces of gold is what one Bitcoin will get you if you're stupid enough to trade it for shiny metal rocks. 18,680,555.05 BTC are in circulation at a price of $60,100, according to ClarkMoody.com forward slash dashboard. 1,206.8 BTC are in the Lightning Network. <clears throat> that is $72.6 million worth of capacity across 10,583 nodes. Man, we are getting up there, pal. 10,583 lightning nodes with a total channel count of 42,680 channels. And those are the channels that we know about. There's a whole bunch of private channels that we can't see. Keep that shit in mind. Uh, percentage of Tor capacity on the rise again. 57.6% of the Lightning Network is now run over Tor, and that is 695.37 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. Run across 4,735 nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. <clears throat> We're going to start this one with the node, Bitcoin, warts and all. This is for out of Coindesk and is written by Daniel Kuhn. Actually, he's actually one of my favorite, uh, favorite writers in the space. <clears throat> Last week, a Human Rights Foundation executive and Bitcoin evangelist Alex Gladstein tweeted that a recent article in Wired UK threatened to set back the cryptocurrency's cause by working in a well-worn, <clears throat> sorry, a well-worn and what he considers overdone genre, Bitcoin crime stories. Yeah, I'm getting sick of it too, Alex. The article, quote, the Bitcoin terrorist of Idlib are learning new tricks, written by Coindesk alumna R Rachel Rose O'Leary, examined how Syrian-based jihadi are using encrypted tools like cryptocurrencies and Telegram to further their cause. This isn't a new trend. What's different is, with increased surveillance of their operations, there's less open discussion about crypto among terrorists. They're going further underground. Bitcoin strength comes from being an open access tool. Anyone, anywhere can transfer BTC to anyone, anywhere. Its emergence was a revolutionary moment in the history of money. It prevents governments and private companies from meddling in the basic human need to transact. Humanitarians, lay people, and criminals alike benefit. Bitcoin is for enemies, guys. I've, I've been saying that for a while. Quote, Bitcoin's non-discriminatory non nature should be celebrated, Gladstein said. His main issue with the article, primarily its headline, is that by focusing on the criminal application of Bitcoin, Wired is providing yet another reason for governments to attempt to stymie adoption. And here's the tweet that he put out on uh, April the 1st. <clears throat> this is Bitcoin war on terror reporting. Terrorism headline, thesis to terrify the reader, and then, only towards the end, acknowledgement that terror only accounts for a tiny fraction of BTC use, and that wider populations suffering under crushing inflation actually benefit. 
So they front load this article with, with this bullshit criminal narrative and then admit on the very back end by the time most readers have stopped reading that this shit is actually good. That's what Alex is getting at. And he's absolutely 100% correct. I'm getting tired of it because this shit, this, the, the, the criminal stories, out of control, man. Gladstein thinks in this instance, the data in O'Leary's article doesn't support a sensationalist headline. He did the math and the Bitcoin terrorists only transacted about $10,000 in, in Bitcoin two years ago. But it's also indicative of a general anti-Bitcoin stance in the mainstream press. Yeah, that's because you guys can't own it. I'm going to stop right there and talk about this for just a sec. These, th these quote unquote journos, and they say, they'll, what they'll tell you, they're writing about Bitcoin and they'll tell you, well, I don't own any. I can't because it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, not owning Bitcoin is also and equally just as much of a conflict of interest because as the price goes high, you get fucking salty and you start writing bullshit stories about Bitcoin. And it's because you don't own any, which is just as bad as if you did own some. There's no way at, at this point, there's no way that you can trust any journalist about like uh, about anything, not, not just Bitcoin. You can't trust journalists at, at all. Not when it comes to financial stuff. Okay, because if they're reporting on Tesla and they don't own Tesla and they see Tesla shoot up, then Tesla becomes bad. If they do own Tesla and Tesla goes down, Tesla becomes bad. If they own Tesla and Tesla goes up, they're happy and they write good shit about Tesla. Why? Because they're humans. Don't trust anybody in journalism writing anything about the financial industry unless they're literally talking about nothing but central banks. And even then, I don't trust them because they're part of the system and they want central banks to win. Central banks are not your friend. Central banks are your enemy. Anyway, his criticism is context dependent. Of the 18 articles, Wired UK has published on Bitcoin almost all except for a glowing profile of the Winklevi, were negative by his reckoning. This is all the more relevant given the significant history of using terrorism as a pretext for cracking down on civil liberties. Just recently, U.S. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen called the illicit use of cryptocurrencies a growing problem. Oh, poor Janet. All this may be true, but it may miss the larger story of what Bitcoin means for the world. It also overemphasizes the power of the media to shape reality in the year 2021, especially the reality about Bitcoin, which famously does not give a shit what people think it is or it is not. In a phone call yesterday, Gladstein made reference to a media establishment that largely ignores how Bitcoin is being used as a means of emancipation by those who were born under the yoke of authoritarianism. There is a clear anti-Bitcoin bias in the mainstream press, he said. I am doubtful that an article or even the entire media establishment could harm Bitcoin adoption. The media is simultaneously over and undervalued. Overvalued precisely because of the control some think it exerts in influencing rather than simply reflecting public opinion. Undervalued because, well, the collapse of the industry speaks for itself. <laughs> I love Alex. <laughs> I got to get him on the show one of these days. The first time I heard about Bitcoin on Reddit, I thought it was cool. Downloaded the source code to mine some, never did, and then forgot about it. The first time I bought Bitcoin was to purchase a gray area good on the clear net. Uh, when my unspent UTXOs started rising in value, I took a closer look. It wasn't until I read the article in New York Times Magazine that I fully understood what was going on. 
I'd wager that there are many adoption stories like mine, and as Gladstein noted, the majority of Bitcoin's users aren't on Twitter, even fewer rewired. <laughs> Read wired, sorry. It's early, guys. Give me a break. Adoption comes from utility. People stay either because they can make money or become ideologically aligned. From Turkey to Morocco, across Latin America, Asia, and Africa, real people are finding value in Bitcoin. You spelt Bitcoin wrong. Stop it. These stories are told in numerous publications, not least of all in Coindesk. The same attributes that make Bitcoin a tool for fostering self-reliance also provide a boon for criminals and despots. North Korea has a sanctions-busting crypto stockpile, and yes, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hamas have taken advantage of direct, unstoppable, and irreversible payments. There must be a reason why Research Chemicals site, or RC, offer discounts on purchases made through the cryptocurrency. O'Leary noted in her article that only a small fraction of crypto payments are for criminal, criminal activity, citing chain analysis research, but the criminals are here. And to say otherwise is to obfuscate the power of Bitcoin. Quote, Bitcoin doesn't care what you write about it. Bitcoin is unstoppable, Gladstein said. Negative articles damage people's ability to use it. It scares them away, whether they are in advanced economies or in places like Syria. It's possible that when Bitcoin was young, less known and less accepted, these negative portrayals might have sunk the project. Satoshi thought WikiLeaks would draw regulatory attention, but now Bitcoin has a patina of respectability. Publicly traded firms are buying BTC. Insurance companies are betting on it, and some of the most influential people are singing its praises. As much as external criticism won't bring the network down, there is an internal series of conflicts among Bitcoiners that could harm it. Gate oh, here we go. Gatekeepers, so-called maximalists, are those who chill uh, criticism have done their damage. I know smart people who turn away from BTC after being dragged on Twitter. Oh, somebody hurt me on Twitter. Oh my God. Daniel just lost a lot of my respect. I'm sorry, dude, Coon, you better get a spine brother because without it, you can't stand up straight like a man and walk around like a man. Get your shit together. Stop crying because people call you shit coiner on Twitter and go on about your goddamn day. I'm getting sick of this shit too. You you literally turned from bitching about or agreeing with Alex Gladstein, who's rightfully bitching about journalist take, and as a journalist turned right to the toxic maximalist as being a problem. Fuck you, Daniel. You asshole. Anyway, as much as external criticism won't bring the network down, yeah, we already read that. Uh, if greater adoption is the aim, then we might as well tell the truth about what the world would look like, the whole truth. Uncensorability means more freedom and more terror. That's the point. That may be a world many would prefer not to live in. O'Leary showed to some extent that the world is already here. So I don't even, I mean, this it's one paragraph about maximalists. Actually, yeah, it's this, it's two sentences. He drops that in there at the very last. You got to ask yourself, why, Daniel? Why would you? I mean, it, this doesn't make any sense. Gatekeepers, maximalists, and those who chill criticism have done their damage. Have we? Or did we save a whole bunch of lives from getting into these shit coins? Daniel, you better get your shit together, man, or you're going to lose on this side of the battle. I'm just, I'm so fucking over these people. Biden administration is concerned over long-term effects of the digital yuan. So now Biden, well, 
not Biden, the administration, but Biden is worried about being able to use the bathroom at this point. Okay. But it's his administration and the people that still have cognitive abilities are the ones that are actually worried about the long-term effects of a digital wand. Officials at multiple government departments are increasing efforts to better understand any possible threat posed to the U.S. dollar by China's digital wand. Sebastian Sinclair tells us more. President Joe Biden's administration is reportedly troubled by the long-term effects of a digital wand and, and, and the, well, the long-term effects a digital wand may have on the dollar status as the world's reserve currency. Yeah, you're going to lose it, dude. According to a Sunday report by Bloomberg, citing unnamed sources, officials at multiple government departments are increasing efforts to better understand possible threats posed by China's initiative. Officials at the U.S. Treasury, the State Department, the Pentagon, and National Security Council are reportedly unfazed by the short-term impacts of a digital wand, the digital currency electronic payment system, and what it may mean for the dollar. Challenges to the U.S. global reserve currency status over the long term, however, are a major concern. Officials have begun ramping up their efforts to understand how the digital wand will be distributed and whether it works around trade sanctions, according to the report. China began developing its DCEP system with the involvement of the country's largest state-owned banks, as well as payment giants Tencent and Ant Financial in 2019, as Coindesk reported at the time. The project has since gone through multiple test runs, including gifting digital red packets of money to citizens via via a lottery that was then spent at participating stores in select cities across China. Because of these moves, China's central bank is positioned to be the first major central bank to issue a digital currency, giving the DCEP a head start, an advantage that U.S. officials are starting to worry about as well, the report said. Now, Remember what I said about journalists who either own or do not own Bitcoin and how it influences writing their stories? The same shit holds for whole administrations of whole countries. Yeah, the United States is completely screwed up. I mean, honestly, and this is what hubris will do to not only an individual, but to whole countries. You get lazy. And when you get lazy, people have, like other countries and other people have a tendency to move ahead. Now, the good news <clears throat> is that while everybody's worried well everybody's worried about how the United States is going to ban bitcoin well first of all that's not going to happen and then the obligatory response is yeah but then they're they're going to 51% it no they're not they got better fish to fry as as far as they're concerned they have better fish to fry they're wrong they should be attacking bitcoin but they're not what's going to happen is that we're going to start seeing digital blockchain warfare amongst countries as they move to put their bullshit fiat currency into the digital realm. Meanwhile, Bitcoiners sit in the back of the theater point and laugh because we all know what's really happening here. But I, I, I welcome the distractions of large governments being too stupid to see what's actually on the horizon. You're front-running billionaires. You're, you're out there as a Bitcoiner. You're front-running whole administrations, whole countries, whole central banks. You're front-running everyone. You should feel really good about that, by the way. Now, continuing. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, oh, Bitcoin's market cap is now bigger than Visa and MasterCard combined. Jordan Leinchev is writing this for CryptoPotato.com. 
Apart from surpassing the $1 trillion level, Bitcoin's market capitalization is now worth more than two of the largest financial service companies, Visa and MasterCard combined. Moreover, BTC's market cap is also higher than several of the largest U.S.-based banks, including J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Citigroup. The previously referred to as a magical internet money has been on a mind-blowing bull run since early October when it dabbled with 10000 In a matter of months, the asset price skyrocketed more than six-fold. Now, oh, sp- speaking of, I got to make my spin on Fold. Hey, Fold app, how you doing today? No, this show is not brought to you by Foldapp, but I figured I'd go ahead and plug them. Naturally, it also impacted the cryptocurrency's market cap, which is well above $1 trillion. On its way up, Bitcoin's market cap surpassed those of notable names such as Netflix, Walmart, Samsung, Alibaba, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, Facebook, and more. While the community anticipates another run that could take down Google, it's worth comparing BTC's rise with some of the most well-known financial organizations as Bitcoin is a financial asset intended to be a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Namely, those are the giant U.S. multinational service corporations, Visa and MasterCard. According to Asset-Data, Visa is currently the 13th largest asset by market cap with $490 billion. Oh, isn't that cute? While MasterCard takes the 18th position with $374 billion. Put together, the market cap of both are worth $864 billion, meaning that Bitcoin is larger than the two of them combined. In fact, Bitcoin's market cap is nearly $200 billion more, with a $1.133 trillion market cap as of writing these lines. Interestingly, Visa and MasterCard have taken pro-cryptocurrency approaches since recent, as recently as both announced plans to enable direct digital asset purchases on their platforms. While still comparing Bitcoin with financial giants, let's take a swing at U.S.-based banking behemoths. Those who have criticized the primary cryptocurrency the most throughout the years. Okay, so JP Morgan Chase and Company, whose CEO called Bitcoin a fraud and later had to apologize, has a market cap of $473 billion. <clears throat> Bank of America, most recently saying BTC is impractical and too volatile, has a market cap of $345 billion, meaning that their combined number is $818 billion. Uh, as mentioned above, significantly lower than Bitcoin. So let's add more. With the addition of the next two banks from Asset Dash, Wells Fargo at $167 billion and Citigroup at $151 billion, they are finally able to match BTC's market cap at over $1.1 trillion. So you need four of these institutions to get to $1.1 trillion. That's where we're at. And people are still looking at me like I'm, like I'm high. I'm like, what, what is it that you just don't see? I, I don't get it. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. I haven't done a train wreck for you guys in a while. So let's do this one from Steve Hank, H-A-N-K-E. I don't know if that's Hanky or not, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It just say it's Steve Hank. He says this, Bitcoin bulls hate to discuss the flaws of Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies are the future of money. Bitcoin is not.
so Steve is over there stuck on uh, blockchain, not Bitcoin land. Uh, that is so 2018, bro. God, what an asshole. Yeah, we, he's 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 shilling the, his latest article in that particular tweet, but I just I just I just, I can't do it. I'm not going to read Steve Hanks' article at, uh, of blockchain, not Bitcoin. I'm so over it. It's not even funny. So, okay. So who's, who's got the joke? I got a joke here somewhere. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Dad says jokes. The police arrested a dog for giving birth on the street. It was littering. That's terrible. (laughs) Okay. If you like the show, if you want to help me out, uh, like subscribe, share the whole show. Uh, go over to iTunes or whatever. Actually, it doesn't matter if it's iTunes or not. It's whatever podcast app that you're actually listening on. If you've got the ability to give me a five-star review and say some nice things, please do, because it really does help. It Honestly, I, honest to God, God, you know, as God is my witness, it really does help get the show out there. I could use some more listeners. I like doing this. I, it, it's fun for me. I, I like being able to give you the news so that you can just like understand what's going on in the morning while you're on your commute, whether you're driving a car so that you don't run into a tree or even if you're on the train or a plane or whatever, uh, so that you can get to where you're going. And by the time you get to work, if you, if you're still working a normie job, uh, that, you know, you get there alive and you understand what's going on all at the same time. So I, I hope that I'm, I'm, uh, doing that task for you. I, I like doing this. I'd like to do it more. Uh, and you can help me do that by liking, subscribing, sharing, and writing five-star reviews for me. And you know, shit, dude, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.